KZSU, Stanford 90.1 FM. I'm Mark Molino. This is the Henry George Program. The show all about housing, tenant issues, and the world of politics. In the program, it is an update we have back on the show. Shanti Singh of Tenants Together. Shanti was on a couple months ago to talk about the eviction crisis. Things have changed, not all for the better. So we have an explainer about what the current moratoria are. We have some analysis about the world of real estate investing, what everybody can do and is doing to deal with this crisis, and much more. A quick, quick note, this was recorded before the current election. Not that it really matters much, but we make a few, uh, few references throughout. Without further ado, let's, uh, let's get into things. Cool. So thanks for being back on, Chanti. Hi, thanks for having me back. Yeah, so we were talking last about um, how everyone is dealing with COVID-related evictions. We were very hopeful once upon a time a few months ago uh, <laughs> that we had a, a great bill that you had that's going to pass, hopefully, and uh, everything will be great. Uh, and that, that didn't quite happen. Uh, so why don't you, why don't you give the, the very brief summary of where we are and how we end up here? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the for, for listeners who listened to our, the last episode we did together uh, or have heard Mark talk about or me talk about um, Assembly Bill 1436. That was a bill that would have provided mortgage forbearance and basically, you know, stopped evictions for non-payment of rent uh, during the pandemic and up to about a year thereafter to kind of give people time to get back on their feet. Very, very important detail. The fact it doesn't just suddenly stop. <laughs> you yeah, about that. exactly. Um, so that was that was a that was a good bill and it was gaining a bit of momentum you know it passed its uh, first couple of committees would have been heard on the assembly floor so it had and it would have had to go i'm sorry the senate floor and then it would have had to go through the assembly as well so there was already kind of a little bit of a race against time and you know we started to get word in the final weeks of the legislative session in august that governor newsom was uh working on his own quote-unquote deal um that between you know landlords and banks and like there were a couple of folks who are tenant friendly tenant advocates who were you know trying to be at that table um but it was a lot of a lot of landlord and bank influence uh on this deal and so what ended up happening was governor newsom scrapped ab 1436 entirely basically just died and pushed his own bill ab 3088 which really has uh, none of these real protections. It allows you, you can, it protects you from being evicted for non-payment as long as you, but you have to pay 25% of your rent um, that's due between September and January. It expires February 1st, which is also bad for other reasons I'll get into. Um, it doesn't have any other protections for any other types of evictions, like no-fault evictions, for example. Um, and it also allows for some means testing where you know landlords can uh if you if they have evidence that you make 130 percent of ami which is very odd it's very odd to see ami in tenant law and not land use um yeah. um but you know they can ask for additional documentation of your hardship and then you have to submit declarations of hardship as a tenant under penalty of perjury which i thought it was just kind of draconian and un unnecessary in my opinion but it's weird. I mean, yeah, so that's that's a mouthful. I mean, every it's but yeah, there's so much stuff going on. I guess like to you know, speak back. I in general, like Gavin, like most other things, he like he says, "Oh, I wish the legislature would do all this." And in this case, yeah, he uh, if he gave more pressure to the good bill, 
a lot of good things might have happened, but it was clear that he was not going to see that happen, and we got this instead. Uh, but yeah, okay, so the eviction cliff, I think, is the most salient part of this, which is, you know, there's you're, you're saying a lot of things, but to break it down very clearly, up until the end of August, that debt from COVID uh, is, you know, it's, it, I guess you have to declare as covered by perjury for that to be turned into civil debt. Is that true? Or yeah, does everyone believe, get it? I, be, I mean, I, I, I believe so. But like that, yeah. we're just we're we're just telling people to do that if they receive an eviction notice for non-payment to then do the declaration. I mean, so what does that mean? Like, because everyone has been affected by COVID, <laughs> but you guess how is who. Who would ever declare it? It's like, I've been affected by COVID negatively. I guess the thing is, you just have to, your income has to have, to have dropped. You know, is that the main thing? Or like, what does that even mean? Yeah, like, yeah. That I've experienced basically some sort of economic hardship, loss of income or increased costs with like, because of, you know, maybe families moving in, right, with you yeah. or something like that. But it is very interesting, and I mean, we haven't. We've definitely been telling folks if they've been evicted, or not if, if they've been evicted. But if someone, if your landlord is threatening to evict you based off of this, then you definitely should file that declaration. But also, I mean, just trying to like, I mean, asking eighteen million tenants to like file something under penalty of perjury with like a certified letter and all of this blah 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 stuff. I mean, there's a lot of there's so many ways in which someone could just not know what to do uh, and not and and mess up. Or make a little mistake and like and fall through the cracks here. So yeah, I'm I'm trying to understand this better. I'm watching a lot of a very popular, great, 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 uh, you know, uh, form genre of of video, which is landlord help videos. Because also, oh God. that's you get a lot of just the nuts and bolts. Because it's what do landlords tell other landlords? You know what you're up against. Uh, and you know they're they're talking, you know, and, and like they help each, they get the forms ready, they do this, but you know it's. Uh, even with all the help tenants are trying to give to each other, it's it's hard to find any bandwidth to deal with it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm I I have to wonder if even the landlords know the law. Oh, I, I think I think the people who are good enough to follow this. But I mean, I've dealt with landlords over the years who don't know what the hell they're doing. I had a landlord yeah. just walk into my place and take a shower once because they didn't know that was illegal. <laughs> you know, it was just, it was oh wild. my god! Wow, yeah. that's crazy. Uh, not, not surprising, but crazy. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't even think that they, I don't even think that most landlords are probably aware of this because like it is incredibly, I mean, it's peak Sacramento to a degree to like design something that just looks very, you know, with all the means testing and all the things like, oh, well, this is just, you know, smart policy on paper and then have it be completely unintelligible and unenforceable in reality. Like it, it is, it's, a, it's very Sacramento vibes. I have to say. Yeah, very Gavin vibes, too. I mean, we'll, yeah. we'll talk more about the politics and the dire consequences, but I guess, okay, to summarize the, the, the back, you know, the very short summary, so everything before September uh, is civil debt forever, which is still something. You can take the small claims court. From s- September through the end of January, you have to pay 25% in that range somewhere. So if mm-hmm. you if you don't have 25%, you're basically, you know, you're up for, uh, you know, you're up for eviction. And then after January, uh, as, as it stands right now, 
no protections. It's basically back to normal, even though 100% we're not going to have a vaccine by everyone by, by yeah, first. Yeah. The economy is not going to be back to normal, but it's just like, nope. okay, you know, back to normal. And you, you've talked in a few, you talked online a few different times of the timing of this eviction cliff, January, is wild and bad because, like, at that point, the legislature won't even have met for a committee. So the question is, a lot of people are saying this needs to be extended. And mm-hmm. what will that look like? Can it be extended? I mean, Gavin can do executive order. I mean, what does this look like? What are you thinking? Because yeah. So there can be, I mean, first of all, we are calling on, we're still calling on Governor Newsom, on Gavin Newsom to like close these gaps. You know, we're, we're still going to continue to pressure him on that front, you know, whether he listens or not, because he always has had quite a bit of latitude as the executive um, that he just hasn't really ever exercised since the beginning of the pandemic. That's one piece of it. I mean, the legislature could have a special session. Um, it doesn't seem like they're interested in having a special session, even though a lot of people are understandably like, there's a pandemic, everything is on fire. Maybe we need to have a special session. I mean, they could also try to some procedural move to like pass some sort of emergency extension without going through committee, but I don't exactly know what that would look like. I'm not an expert on that exact, like how that exactly that would work, but I've been told that it is, theoretically possible Hmm. but really i think what's interesting was there were like two there were the talking points and then there was the the truth of like why this february 1st date because it didn't make any sense to me for the does like it doesn't make any sense to you for the reasons that you that you highlighted if you made next next summer at least say okay that sounds reasonable why february 1st it's a bizarre choice yeah, and some of the rhetoric coming around this was, you know, coming from legislators and from Newsom was like, you know, this is a bridge, quote unquote, uh, you know, a, like this, this or AB 3088 is a bridge. And it's like, it's like, well, what is it a bridge to? Um, because there was some talk about, well, you know, really, like, the federal government needs to step in. You heard this talking point a lot in the legislature. The go- federal government needs to step in. They need to step in. They need to help us. And they're not wrong. But also, like, even if there is a you know biden landslide victory you know in in a couple of weeks like it doesn't mean that you know he'll, he'll be in office for what maybe 10 days at that point like was it do you think he's gonna pass like some sort of massive uh relief package that's gonna subsidize like millions of californians rents like i, I don't know i didn't understand that and then the last thing about that was that you know the more i kind of asked around and you know it's always scuttlebutt and whispers and things like that But the most convincing explanation I could find for the February 1st date was that basically that was as far as the banks were willing to go. And Newsom just basically caved in, was like, okay, fine. So that's the most convincing one I found so far. So so as far as the federal level, one thing that was interesting is, okay, so AB 3088 dropped at the end of August. It was, you know, I think was signed on August 31st. About the same time, uh, this was actually my birthday this year, September 4th, the CDC uh, dropped a federal level intervention. And Mm -hmm. for a while, people were kind of confused, like, okay, does this actually do better than AB 3088? Because it was kind of sweeping their range, as far as I can tell, I think till the end of the year. But Mm -hmm. as far as from our perspective in California, it was ascertained, confirmed by Gavin Newsom that, in fact, we are stronger than the CDC intervention, uh, so ignore it. But it's it's kind of, I mean, is this unprecedented for the federal government to step in with this? And as far as what Gavin wants for a federal intervention, is this going to be another version of the CDC intervention is what he 
he's expecting or wants? I think he's expecting, I mean, I think he and the legislature are expecting, like, you know, rent, rent relief or, you know, maybe indirect forms of rent relief, like unemployment money, which is what a lot of people were using to pay their rent. Yeah. Or, um, yeah, or, you know, another stimulus payment, et cetera, which is, like, very much the rent eats first, right? Like, any money, they want people to get, you know, money but from the federal government and then so that they can then spend all of that on their rent. Um, but with the CDC order, I mean, he's not exactly correct. Whereas we're treating, you know, it took us a while to figure out how we were going to approach this. Um, but we also didn't have time because we have to, like, you know, educate the public as soon as possible. But with the CDC order, I mean, the way that we treat it is like it's a baseline. Um, and uh, everything else sits on top of that baseline, whether it's AB 3088 or federal or sorry, or, or local protections. But, you know, there are cases, for example, the CDC order that are stronger than AB 3088. So Newsom's not being totally honest about his own law here, because if you are one of those people who absolutely cannot pay 25% of your rent at all, and there are a lot of people who have been out of work for a really long time, and every month, every month that goes by, they are less and less and less able to pay what the, the rent that they were able to pay before. So uh, for those folks, actually, the CDC order does provide some sort of safety net. We're trying to see, I mean, it's, it's an, an open question about how this is going to be litigated and enforced in courts. So this is still going to be a nightmare, right? You know, like if, but like, so we do believe that you should be able to use that, use the CDC order in your defense in that situation. And that is something that, you know, like that, that 3088 and Newsom didn't cover. They did not cover the absolute poorest people. Yeah, and it's it's wild too that is AB thirty eighty eight was a complete one eighty of before this. Gavin Newsom was saying, uh, "We I'm empowering eviction moratorium, which means every city please impose your own." And then with AB thirty eighty eight, not only was it at the state level, but it it excluded the possibility of local uh, you know moratoria that was stronger than this. Uh, yeah. Some, which is real wild. Some places were actually grandfathered in before it, but it really says like not only are we doing the state level, but they are completely stopping any sort of local intervention beyond it, which is a little yeah, you know, kind of yeah, you know, kind of bad based upon like how little energy we're seeing from, from Newsom at the at the state level. That was definitely I mean, that was the issue that concerned us the most. And like for tenant from the perspective of tenant groups like we've you know this isn't our first rodeo although this is certainly like unprecedented situation that we're all in in our lifetimes but you know i think we were concerned about the preemption the moment we knew that he was working out a deal that his people were working out a deal we were concerned about preemption specifically and i mean it gives me no pleasure to say that we were right um because like but, sf you you guys i mean everyone in sf came out ahead because they actually kind of got the deal in and it's to the state of emergency right so you don't lose it at any point as opposed to other places we're kind of going on like a month by month extension and based upon that their extensions ran out and they just you know now they're yeah they, they lost everything yeah and they can like they can go back and do stuff i think after february 1st so they could you, they could enact things now to prepare for february 1st but it's still a very confusing state of affairs where you're just under a different set of eviction protections um, all of a sudden. Um, and, and, you know, in a way he's punishing, it's interesting because his it, the way that he called what he did in April an eviction moratorium, his executive order, it wasn't an eviction moratorium. 
he was basically kicking a can down to municipalities and local governments and county governments and saying, okay, you pass your own protections, I'll like, grant you permission to pass your own protections. He signed, he said that was an eviction moratorium. It really wasn't. But it is kind of, it is kind of wild that he's sort of punishing municipalities who actually did what he said he wanted to do and were proactive in passing these protections. And that's not all municipalities for sure. So um, it's almost interesting like that this kind of punishes the most progressive ones. Um, yeah, and th- it just, it's not fun for, uh, you know, it, it's difficult for people who spend a lot of time looking at this to understand what the hell is going on. The average renter is just, how do you, exp- it's, it's, this is such a mess. Yeah, I mean, this has definitely been, you know, something I've been preoccupied with too is like lately it's just like, you know, what are, we've all been working attendance together on like designing resources and talking to other groups and allies in the community, whether it's like, you know, I mean, uh, just a broad range, not just housing justice groups, but like community service and direct service organizations, et cetera, trying to tackle the question of like, how are we going to get the word out to people? How are we going to inform people? You know, how do we have sort of unity in our communications and in, in explaining this law to like the public? Um, and it's been really hard. I mean, I don't have an answer to how tenants are supposed to understand this. I don't also don't even know if landlords will understand it. Um, Boil it down to a simple flowchart, probably like six pages long. You know, this yeah. is just, it's a mess. Uh, yeah, the AMI bit is incredible. I was, again, like we can talk about AMI all the time when we're talking about like low income housing tax credit, like BMR uh, construction, but. Seeing that in a tenant bill is like, I can't imagine like the landlord being like, well, I suspect that you made above 130% AMI and like bust out a chart and is like, I need additional documentation that you really lost your job or I'm going to evict you. Like that's so, what it's so weird. Yeah, I I guess the federal level, uh, as far as the CDC doesn't seem, you know, a perfect or ideal or something, at least has a kind of a clear, which is if you got that check... You also get the, the CDC eviction protection. Yeah. I believe that's correct. Which okay, that's people know if they got the check. No one really knows what the hell's going on with this. This is, it's, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's bad. So I mean, okay, so that's we're kind of like that was an, a top down view of like what the hell AB thirty eighty eight is. There's a much more other details worth because there's you could it's a fractal. You can you can just stare in further and further, and all these details pop up, but. <laughs> Uh, I mean, anything to do, because the other thing is just kind of like, what is the response? Uh, because, you know, seeing tenants together is trying to inform tenants. I mean, that's, I think, you know, knowledge is power and all that. So I guess that is like the very base level what's necessary. But then as far as one is, how bad are people expecting the eviction cliff to be? Because I guess one dire way to look at this is it hit that sweet spot of being bad but not so bad that like people actually, you know, are outraged at the points that things change. Just kind of this dire background badness that just kind of goes on. And, you know, people are leaving all the time now. And kind of that's, is this kind of the goal? It's kind of like, well, let's just, you know, bleed out more of the population. Let's just kind of try to get to a, a new status quo. But like, let's not actually, it's not going to be like everybody is going to be in a dire way on February 1st. It's going to be a weird distributed pain all over the place. I'm, I'm just, I don't know what to expect, I guess. <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, I think this is what we, this is, this is exactly, I mean, this is how tenant groups feel too. It's kind of, 
it, it's foaming the runway a little bit i guess maybe that's the right term but like yeah it, it's foaming the runway or just like drawing uh, stretching out the pain so that it's out of out of sight out of mind you know i i really do think that's it there is still a huge fiction crisis it's just not a cliff like i guess I, i've said this before but i would compare it to like instead of a cliff it's like a slalom yeah. Like, or like a black diamond hill that you're just skiing down like really fast, trying to avoid rocks and trees and death. And like, uh, but like, it's not, it's not a cliff, but it's still pretty bad. And I don't think that we are going to really understand the consequences of that uh, for a long time. Like, I think it'll be very much something we start to learn or think about in hindsight. And I, I think that was what I think Connor Doherty was saying that in uh, the New York Times, or, or maybe he was just saying it on Twitter about how it's like even the dramatic stuff about the cliff like that isn't really the uh, that's getting attention but it isn't the really the problem the problem is that like we are going to just be bleeding out and uh and and renters especially and like poor people and people of color etc like we are like in this slow rolling massive crisis it's just constantly going to be like unfolding in the background and i do think something like 3088 you know it was like, what? what is the least we can do while looking like we did something? I think that was really it. Yeah, I mean, I, looking at numbers, like the recession we are already in, who knows you know, where it's going, but comparing it to the dot-com bubble, comparing it to 20, uh, 2008, uh, like those, it was interesting that higher earners and lower earners kind of looks the same for the dot-com in 2008. For mm-hmm. this, top earners coming out perhaps even ahead you know, people who are the professional class, you know, are able to work from home, uh, you know, next two quartiles doing not so bad between this is like a job growth chart I was looking at, like, mm-hmm. you know, job not dropping down too, too much. The bottom uh, quartile, I think it was like dropped in job growth 20 to 30 percent. You know, it was just Jesus. it was it was so dramatic. And, you know, these are the people who are the lowest earners and all the pressure is on them and the big you know it's like who is affected and who cares and i think it's not it's not wrong to say in politics you know people are fine to leave the bottom uh, quartile of people out to dry and it seems that's absolutely what's kind of going on with how much pressure gavin newsom was going for like ab38 has like extra sweeteners like homeowners and other stuff but i you know it's these people are already on the fringe of society. And I think a lot mm-hmm. of ways they're saying, okay, you know, uh, we're not going to help you here. Please move on. It's like the old like vagrant, give them a bus ticket out of town almost as it feels like. <laughs> yeah. It's very, I mean, you could see, you could see that in the rental market too, because you think it would be, it seems incredibly incongruous or like not, it doesn't make sense that you, that you'll, you know, read in the news stories about people and, and this is real like i i'm a renter in san francisco i have friends who have been actually able to negotiate you know friends who are fully employed who are able to negotiate down their rents right now and so yeah. like you'll see things where people are talking about i love it it's a renter's market like i'm going to haggle with my landlord especially you see those stories coming out of the bay area but then you also have like when I go like I was like you know, my friend will say yeah I'm, I'm I'm renegotiating my rent like wish me luck and then you know I like do my work and my job and like we're talking to people who are literally just like I have been I'm a restaurant worker I have not been able to find a job for six months um my checks have run out like I can't make 25 percent like what do I do and there's yeah. so many people who are going through that so it's just it's the same 
it's the same thing that's happening in like rental you can see that in rental housing you can see that in these stories right even just press coverage or news coverage um and and that's the same it's like a reflection of what you just talked about like how we are basically having to it's it, we're, we're kind of living in two societies at once yeah, and I mean, there's a geographic component as well. This is more factoids I'm learning through these uh, landlord help videos and investor videos. <laughs> oh, which is like uh, this guy's down like L.A. County area, but he's talking about like in you know L.A. County people are expecting a non-payment of of uh, you know to a higher extent. They're surprised. It's only five percent, ten percent. This isn't. This is much less than we expected. But they said inland, like the Inland Empire. Uh, upwards of thirty percent is what they're they're hearing. It's like that's not shocking, you know. It's you know, that happens every boom and bust. You know, the mm-hmm. bust is always the people at the margin, and there's a geographic margin as well. The margin in here, coast of country county, you know, talk about Tracy, talk about all these different places in the edge mm-hmm. of our economy, and you know, it's kind of outside out of mind. I, I've not been to Tracy in quite a while. I really would want to know more about people who are depending upon being at the edge of this burgeoning economy like it dried up and i think a lot of people are you know feeling the pain that must be driving a lot of relocation decisions if people are at the margin of considering is this the best place for me to live because yeah absolutely and i also think there's like there's a couple like if you we think about the 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 patterns of displacement you know i mean we're currently like tenants together we're trying to get a foot our foothold or an organizing foothold back in the central valley where we used to be pretty active after the foreclosure crisis which by the way we're hiring if anyone is listening in the central valley wants to be an organizer but um but yeah i mean that's the thing that we talk about when i you know we're a statewide organization when i talk to organizations you know not i know you and i are in the bay area but when i talk to organizations that are not in the bay area the thing is that the the, the housing crisis in general has for the for many years now prompted this shift this sort of ch- chain of displacement inland yeah. um and the demographic changes are, are really obvious particularly for you know people of color a lot of people of color a lot of latinx people live in the inland empire um and and you can see those demographic shifts like uh you can see the chain of displacement that kind of starts in like san francisco and silicon valley and you know people people say like then they, they Someone pushes someone out in Oakland. Someone in Oakland pushes someone out in Richmond or Antioch. Someone in Antioch like goes up the I eighty corridor, pushes someone out in Sacramento, yeah. and then Sacramento sends their people down to Stockton, who pushes out someone in Tulare. Like you know, it's like the whole like that's like kind of the NorCal Central Valley displacement chain, and there's probably a similar one in SoCal as well. Uh, there definitely is. Um, and, you know, I mean, as a total aside, like when, when I, when we were talking about, you know, when I was, I did a stint working on the Bernie campaign and I, when we looked at like what our priority, you know, districts were for California, when we looked at the whole population, like demographics and everything, like you could really see this massive shift inland of like the working class, especially working class people of color. And like that is the consequences of our inaction on housing, and you and I can debate that all the time later. But you know, it, it, it very much like that already was a thing. Um, this is only, I think, going to accelerate that. But it also means that we have a lot of tenants right now who are very vulnerable, like you said, in those mobile home parks, etc., who are living in jurisdictions with like no municipality, no tenant union support, and like as like an organization that's like our 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 whole thing is that we need to like keep building new tenant unions, new formations, new organizing and new local protections of places where they don't exist. I mean, this is just basically like, well, this is what we would already have been doing where there are no pandemic, but now it's like, we have to like 
kick it into overdrive because people are really in a lot of trouble. Yeah. So I think big, big picture, this is where I like start like, you know, just it's kind of wild. The entire economy contracting based upon COVID, like GDP is down, you know, I was like double digits. It's, it's pretty Mm -hmm. major, but so shockingly, surprisingly, uh, I think in aggregate disposable income is up. We've done kind of like it's almost like an MMT magic trick of like we say, okay, the economy slows, but we can inject money and just like shoot it out to people, which is like, I mean, honestly, if if you're asking me in a macroeconomic sense, I think this is good and correct. I think it's helping people. I, I think it's great. But here's the big issue. What do we do about the lifeblood of the economy as, you know, uh, you know, as, as politics views it, which is to say the real estate economy and their goal is they need to keep it healthy and chugging. They need to make sure that real estate continues to be a good investment. Uh, here's just an article I pulled up on uh, the always reputable, actually I don't know this, but it's called globestreet.com, <laughs> uh, Globe Emoji Street. Uh, and it's called AB, <laughs> AB38 brings some certainty to investors during the pandemic. Uh, so it's talking about, I believe, uh, I think it says like, you know, landlords... Landlords love it. The law has been well received among landlords, and they're saying that unlike you know kind of the differences at the local level, uh, this creates one large investment potential for you know people in the real estate industry to work with. They know what to expect, and I think in no small way that was Gavin Newsom's goal here <laughs> is to make sure that things mm-hmm. are good for for investors. Uh, these same these same damn videos. One guy was saying it's an incredible, incredible seller's market right now. California mm-hmm. would would die if it's if the real estate industry, if realtors have a bad time. It's incredible that they've continued to make this a strong seller's market during this this crisis. But they they have. Uh, and I guess one one thought, you know, one one conspiracy. You know, people are talking about Gavin Newsom notably went came down against Prop Twenty One. Uh, mm-hmm. People are saying, was this part of a deal he made with landlords? Like, I will do the eviction moratorium if I also come out against Prop Twenty One. I would say I don't think he even needs that. To me, coming down against Prop Twenty One and AB Thirty Eighty Eight, do the same thing, which is create a statewide consistency for investors across the entire state. And I think that is in no small part what I think California feels it needs at its highest level to continue to exist. I don't know if this is useful or th- to think about, but I I do absolutely think looking at the investor world is, is absolutely what's deciding all these decisions. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's very important. Like, it's very important to be materialist about this, although I do believe I do believe that the, the that the rumor. I mean, I have heard it enough times, but I don't know if Gavin Newsom was ever going to support Prop Twenty One. Maybe he was. Maybe he wasn't. I wasn't in the room. But uh, you know, I, I do believe that his going his his not he his not going neutral, his opposing it, yeah. um, may have been. I mean, I've heard that from some reputable people, so it may or may not be true. But you're right. I mean, it doesn't. The, the individual politics, I guess, do sort of matter when you're the governor. But, you know, at the same time, they don't matter as much as, like, just what the, the ideology and the agenda is. Um, and, yeah, I, I also don't know how you read uh, all of those or watch all those videos or read those things without becoming nauseous. So, like, I'm super, I'm very impressed. More power to you. Oh, I, um, I, I feed off it. Yeah. But, but also, it's yeah, I mean, I don't... It, it is... It is wild. I mean, it is wild that California real estate continues to, like, find opportunity in this pandemic. But, I mean, 
I guess I'm not, I can't say I'm surprised. Um, I can't say, and, and they are looking for stability and certainty. Um, particularly like one of the things that I think I touched on this briefly, but you know, one of the things that like really shaped AB 3088 was the reluctance of the banks to act, to do anything. Right. Yeah. Because they're at the top of the food chain. Um, which and is mostly, so, mostly they don't want any of their existing mortgages on any sort of property to just go belly up. And I mean, that's that's the that's the, the foundation of the entire real estate economy is what you're saying or others. They other do, but financing. They, I mean, they wouldn't even I, I'm even saying they wouldn't even budge on forbearance. Yeah. So they wouldn't really budge on supporting. I mean, the, my understanding kind of the way that 3088 went down was basically it was like cascading, like punching down. So. The banks refuse to budge on mortgage forbearance or like or not even forgiveness i guess it's just forbearance right what was proposed in 1836 or 1436 uh they would not really move an inch on this and they were called out for that uh by other uh state legislators including hannah beth jackson down in uh, central coast santa barbara who's i believe going to be termed out she was a great 1436 supporter um, usually pretty measured uh, in her words, but she was pretty uh, she was pretty harsh about basically saying she's like I blame this on the banks, um, and so the banks kind of said, hey landlords, like you know screw you, like we're not going to mess with we're we're not going to uh, uh, be like going along with any kind of mortgage forbearance proposal, which would require our consent. And then the landlords basically came to the banks and basically decided to punch down at the tenants, right? So in a way, I mean, I think it's it's a very interesting dynamic because we don't, I guess we don't talk about, we do talk about banks or we talk about Wall Street more nebulously, but I think like there, it's very interesting how their lobbying power is also something that's really important and relevant in this situation besides the CA and California Apartment Association and the California Association of Realtors, who obviously are also bad. But I also found it interesting that, you know, on this forbearance issue, uh, the landlord interests like didn't stand up for their own people. You know, they're always yeah. talking about the mom and pops and everything. But like, did they actually negotiate in their interests? No, they just decided to pass the pain on. Um, I guess for the sake of maintaining investment stability. Yeah, normally, normally even the mom and pops, you know, are happy, you know, <clears throat> fat and well fed. But in this case, you know, everyone needs to take a cut, and and it's uh, a few of them are going to get squeezed. Uh, that's unusual, but uh, I mean, it's very usually the fingers are uh, pointed at the landlords, the landowners, but I mean, banks are effectively maybe in a weirder term because they are not long-term landlords and landowners, but they effectively they own it for the time of of their their payment. They have the same material interest in a lot in for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's in a lot of ways the entire extremely fluid banking system is kind of like the biggest landowner uh or one of them in the entire in the entire economy uh with the same interests. It's like, yeah, you are not going to topple it without dealing with these guys, you know. So yep. it's yeah, and that's I mean that's a global issue. It's not just a that's not even just a domestic issue. That's a global issue at this point. That's the decisions we make when we like build our entire economy about expanding money to buy up real estate. You know, <laughs> this is yeah, what you get. yeah, yeah. So much- Continuous property appreciation is what our economy is built on. So, I mean, some people have even said not to get too in the weeds, but some people have even said like uh, that. You know, they think that the primary driver. One of the primary drivers, if not the primary driver of the post-2008 recovery was real estate appreciation. 
quantitative easing, I mean, I like it. I like making new money. But here's the thing. What happens? We didn't get inflation with the CPI, but look in California. We got a lot of inflation as far as real estate values, you know? I, yeah, I my money printer go burr. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I love some gazillionism, but you got to deal with real estate, and no one no one is willing to because the people who own the real estate are just too damn powerful. Uh, but as far as okay, so as far as doing anything, I mean, that's the question: How do you organize and create political action? Uh, create action, you know, even outside the political system by people who are largely disenfranchised uh, in the first place. And I guess that's the question. I mean, we're you're kind of boxed out as far as renters dealing with doing anything better than this uh, at the mm-hmm. moment. But like, what is the entire game plan? Because I mean, so you, you know, you're 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 moving like into the like the main uh, Sacramento point person for Tens Together in this upcoming session as well. I'm, is that yeah. Right? I am so yeah. Uh, yeah. Can't I mean I I think I guess I've already probably said enough things that would get me in trouble. Everybody knows what I'm going to say at this point. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I am uh, basically like you know we're talking about legislative planning because like, you know we're a coalition of many many member organizations and like uh, that work across a lot of issues. I mean mostly tenant unions and legal aid and you know direct service like housing justice work, but we like are broadening that coalition and talking to what other people are dealing with, especially like on environmental justice, like, <laughs> like organized labor, et cetera, because we're trying to all figure out, like, you know, I think it, it wasn't just in housing that other organizations or other groups like realized, like had their bills kind of messed with or even vetoed if they made it. Yeah. Um, it, this was just not a good year for progressive legislation, even though we're in the middle of like, you know, an apocalyptic, pandemic and wildfire situation um so definitely there's i think there's been a lot of soul searching about like what what we do next in sacramento um in this two-year cycle because there are going to be immediate concerns to address for sure especially with this thing expiring february 1st and and so it's really hard they always it's it does feel like it's on purpose sometimes like to always kind of keep you in the sort of short-term strategic thinking because you have to put out so many fires but I mean, I think that like, I still think that something that was a priority of ours before the pandemic is still incredibly important now. And that's actually like, you know, legalizing organizing or enshrining the right for tenants to organize, which they do yeah. not have right now. Like, if you have just cause protections, you're I mean, that kind of basically covers you because but essentially, like, we don't really have it enshrined that, you know, tenants have the right to organize tenant associations or tenant unions in their building without fear of eviction um, or retaliation uh, for, for belonging to a tenant association. And to point out one thing, I mean, people are even like saying the fact that during AB 3088, you have to declare hardship under penalty of perjury. This is basically the perfect thing to break any possibility of rent strikes. Because yeah. if you you can't have solidarity if you actually are legally prohibited through to uh, – these means testing of doing solidarity that's bad that's very bad it's yeah that's a really great point that i yeah. hadn't really thought of that that is that specifically is very very bad yeah, yeah. It, it, and you know right to right to organize like it almost did we, we tried it with uh under it was sb 529 in 2019 yes wow i'm forgetting time, time is so time, time is just doesn't, it doesn't it's not real um it came very close 
It did. Um, unfortunately, I mean, the rent strike provisions were stripped in appropriations, which... Yeah, the, uh, the weak version came close, the strong version, not so yeah. much. Yeah, but it still would have protected tenant unions and tenant associations, so it was still it was still fairly decent. And you know, I mean, it was one vote. I mean, technically, it got a majority of votes in the chamber. There were two empty state senate seats at that point. So, yeah, the wild, wild. And this is a question: Okay, what can you do in this mess? You know, rent strikes would be one way of making sure you get the direct, you know, landlord tenant, you know, fighting back to say, you know, how how people can organize against this. But I guess also. Even without that, what are other forms of direct action? Uh, I was seeing, uh, you know, LA Tenants Union was doing some demonstrations on what they have been doing, uh, which is a large part of the energy to stop illegal evictions, which is a massive thing, which is always going on. Mm-hmm. And in this case, we talk about like landlords don't follow rules; they don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've, t- I've, you know, seen and talked to so many people online who have just been being evicted in absolute contradiction to the CDC protections nationwide and with, you know, California protections. And what do you do about it? A lot of people say like, well, you know, it's illegal, but I can't fight it. And, you know, I guess direct action at, you know, these different levels is one way to fight it. And, but it takes a lot of energy. And I guess maybe is there any kind of thoughts about kind of what people are doing and can do to, to fight back against illegal evictions? Yeah, and we've been we've been like we've been training people. We've been doing these trainings. I think we the last one we did was maybe a, a month ago or so. But like we've been doing repeated like trainings and tenants together for any tenant who wants to join, like in English and Spanish about about illegal lockouts because they're absolutely happening. Um, and it is really something like what the LA Tenants Union, for example, has done so well is kind of recognize and model this at sort of the community level. Because, like, it is a terrifying experience to be locked out or have your stuff thrown out by your landlord, have them call the cops, which they do. Um, usually they do this to uh, people of color. Like, the, I think LA Times found that um, the overwhelming majority of illegal lockouts during the pandemic in LA were in South LA, so Black and Latino tenants. So, yeah, I mean, understand, like, the, when it comes to lockouts, a lot of it is sort of, like, it is sort of like building defense structures at the community level with your neighbors and your friends and things like that, um, which is also, I mean, another wrinkle is it's very hard to organize when you're socially distanced, right? Yeah. So that's it's- other things. Yeah, it's really hard. Like, how do you start a tenant association when you're socially distanced, which is another thing we've been teaching people um, or, or training the people on. But but yeah, I mean, direct action against lockouts is really important. I also think that, you know, depending on how, cases go like zoom courts really do are a prospect that really terrify me but also like court support like what does court support look like in a pandemic right but people have been doing court blockades in other states and other places and they have actually been like pretty successful so i do think direct action is still possible um and we've seen a lot of inspiring cases of that but it is a lot harder and like we have to we definitely have to kind of we're, we're definitely trying to get to organize as many people to like know how to manage that, uh, especially when you're when you don't want to be get sick from being outside. Yeah, I mean it's hard enough for health reasons, other reasons. <clears throat> when you have a law on your side, it's hard enough. Um, you know, when you move into the other stuff, which is fighting back against a technically legal eviction, and when people say like, if you blockade it, this is actually you know could be construed as a crime. That's going to be that 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 much harder. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about 
yeah, we're talking about court uh, blockades. One thing that is is interesting, like you know, trying to look up information on what's happening. It's I guess a good thing that we have confidentiality as far as eviction court and everything. But it also means it's very hard for people who want to help to get the right information because it's inaccessible in a lot of ways. It's one thing uh, you know uh, some folks at uh, SVDSA are experiencing of trying to look up court information. You know, it's it's hard. You know. Yeah, yeah, no, it it is it is incredibly difficult, and we're also trying to kind of figure out what. You know, we're trying to figure out what the statewide landscape looks like, too. Like, you know, what, how many eviction cases, you know, just, just the aggregate higher level numbers that we can kind of break out regionally, like maybe at a county level or maybe even below that. Like, how many, all I want to, all we want to know and find out is like how for the step one is how many cases are going on, right? How yeah. many are underway? What type are they? What kind of judgments are being rendered, et cetera, et cetera. It's very like, I mean, this is, information that should be easily accessible to the public uh you know maybe not people's identities or anything like that of course but like also just you know uh just maybe even just the aggregate the high level stuff about like what what is the how is this crisis this slow rolling crisis rolling along um and it's been really hard to get that information i mean we just like we don't we don't really track displacement period it's just not i i don't know like what that says about our values as a society you know i mean yeah well but, that's a big question too of like you know in every like displacement on a citywide basis you want to have confidentiality i think it'd be very bad to have any sort of doxing elements as far as tenancy mm-hmm. across the place but you know even the places that have any sort of rental registry it's usually limited maybe it's only the rent controlled units i mean mm-hmm. i i just think every it would be i think just and good to have you know trackable rental registries with the right amount of confidentiality statewide and beyond but like i'm not even sure on the technical level how you how you balance the confidentiality and the right amount of data and then you know where 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 do you go from there i don't know i've 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 talked to like people in the kind of like you know maybe like the uh the hacker space about their kind (laughs) of wacky like put on the blockchain but i don't i don't know It's, it's hard yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's also just like if it for I think if we can do it for rent controlled units, we can do it with a reasonable amount of privacy. And like you know, some cities do have this at the local level, but not that many. But um, I mean, I, I think there is it is possible to have some sort of baseline, like very generic, generalized like information about tenancies. And I mean, you can also cross reference that with you know census data or other things that might show you like the demographics of displacement without having to like deliberately ask like what is the race of your tenant for example yeah it's fun. it's 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 interesting stuff like the census level they give you demographic data by kind of aggregating it and then redistributing it not exactly but it's in aggregate correct you get weird like i've looked like there's towns like 20 people and they'll yeah. tell you about like the household level there's like one house with six you know six <laughs> children and two seniors and like all these like kind of weird combinations because it's all faked but like that's yeah you know, i think in principle we can we can balance it we don't want to i think is the problem yeah we we don't we don't want to do that and you know i mean obviously there's folks like there's the anti-eviction mapping project there's matthew desmond's eviction lab and stuff there's private initiatives of people trying to now do this work but it's like it's really it's really hard and i mean it's it's such a huge missing piece of every housing debate including ones about land use like and about tenants rights and about like anything housing related is like we just have this giant data hole 
which is yeah. that like we don't we argue about what displacement really looks like but like we also don't really have some of the tools that we need to like really dig into that and and that's the thing i was like i when i think of slow uh, displacement isn't just people being evicted that's the most obvious part of it it's also just people getting up and leaving because they just can't you know they can't afford their rent or um they're afraid their landlord's going to evict them so they're like might as well leave beforehand like you know i mean those are that's displacement too it's a, it sucks that we just have to speculate like anecdotal stuff because yeah there's no mm-hmm. good data on this you know it's just like oh i heard some people who know some people like that's really about as good as you're gonna get yeah yeah and it's really uh it's really not a way to it's really not a way to have pol- like like to do policy like on just sort of you know speculative arguments about displacement you know i mean obviously like if you're a tenant organizer like you do have like enough on the ground i think like experience that like you know you can start to see the anecdotes become data but even then you know i mean if things would be so much more i I mean imagine if imagine if like it it were just we could just see how many people are getting evicted on like a weekly or monthly basis and like be like gavin newsom do something about this like even that right so okay so action i mean talk about the political space talk about direct action space like as far as energy going anywhere useful what what else is there i guess i've you know um, I mean, I think, I mean, I also think like mutual, if people, anything helps if people want to, you know, for example, like I, I've been encouraging people to actually consider, you know, becoming volunteer counselors, like, you know, attendance together, we have the volunteer run hotline, etc. But actually becoming, uh, becoming well versed in tenant like law, and being able to counsel others is actually a really critical skill because you can then teach other people to do that. But then you can also be a resource for your neighborhood and your community. Um, if people have the time, and I'm talking about people who have the time, the means, the energy, et cetera, to do so. Um, there's there, there are little things you can do like that, even if you're not exactly ready to go to the streets and do like a court blockade or, or something like that. It's really about um, trying to overcome you know the, the 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 isolation that we're that we're all in, and uh, trying to like basically engage with everyone around you and what what's going on in their lives right now. I mean that is really just the basic of that that is the basic premise of tenant organizing, yeah. um, and like getting to know people in your building again. It's hard, especially when you can't like you don't want to be within six feet of them, but. Uh, the best of times if you're a weird loner you know <laughs> but like yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. social anxiety is you know but it's it's you know we have multiple multiple sources of anxiety it's great mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and yeah i mean obviously like there it's 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 very much like it sounds cheesy but i mean if you have if you have the means to do something then like you know this is or, or the or the space and you're not completely underwater right now there are lots of things you can do uh to be like to support people around you who are really suffering so i mean uh, yeah there's there's direct action there's political action obviously you know there's there's an election going on and people are talking about pro runner candidates and all that stuff not going to comment on that you know you can vote or whatever but uh really trying to get involved more deeply like (laughs) with the people with the the people in your community i think is is doable even if it just even if it feels really hard and it uh, has the side bonus of making you feel less isolated is is uh, is attendance together or any other orgs that you're affiliated with doing much to kind of make it easy to power up people in this volunteer space, or is this something that you're so overextended, like at the moment that this is more of a a place you'd like to be? 
I think, I mean, a little bit of both. I think we're, we're definitely, we're doing a lot, a lot of like trainings, workshops, like just, or even just having spaces for people to like engage and, and learn. Um, like we're really, we really stepped up how often we do those. Like, you know, we have a, a like a mutual, like legal support and like cancel rent, like strategic, like all this is kind of a nebulous call and we kind of changed the, the, the purpose of it but we had been doing these calls we used to do them every tuesday we're doing them every other tuesday you know we're trying to put out in addition to these just these nuts and bolts know your rights things like we're really like you know like the silly declaration that you have to sign in return under penalty of perjury but also you know we're trying to make it more accessible to like you know learn how to do socially distanced tenant organizing or like learn how to like organize your community around a lockout before it happens like just trying to get all that information out there and get people like new people to participate um and so i guess we're kind of taking a maximalist approach because like right now it's just like we just want to talk to as many people as possible we want to like help organize and train as many people as possible yeah so if you've thought about becoming a tenant leader in your community like we're trying to make those resources (laughs) yeah uh, so again, one more thing, I guess, is there's always the court of public opinion. Uh, and as far as Gavin Newsom, I think it's it's really interesting in my mind that normies seem to love Gavin Newsom. You know, mm-hmm. people who have low information people say, oh, Gavin Newsom, he's pretty good. People like him, right? Mm-hmm. But if, if anybody cares about anything and is actually following anything he does, if you know a single thing he does everybody like says oh he's actually awful you know yeah. and, like and that's, and that's that's the thing of like how, like it's it's pretty wild i feel like in far as this goes there's a lot of personal blame on gavin newsom uh for the shortfalls of what is happening in the in the tenant space how can this be a lot in in look at california you know we have nearly you know 50 percent uh you know renters how do you translate this into the fact people should be livid at this guy it's hard <laughs> I don't, it I don't is know. really yeah yeah and i don't think it makes sense always like obviously like i have my issues with with like the way that he does his job and so do you and so do a lot of people like like you said anyone who actually is involved in doing work on any issue any progressive issue not just housing um <laughs> like knows exactly how uh he operates and what their issues with them are but he pulls interestingly enough like even the public like is critical of his handling on housing and homelessness now i don't know if they're yeah. critical for the right reasons right it really people's motivations for saying that this is bad might just be might be very diverse <laughs> um uh, but you know, I mean, that is where that is where he even performs the weakest in the general public, in the eyes of the general public. And I and I think that he's just he's a very PR conscious, savvy politician. That's how he got where he is, you know, um, including when he was mayor of San Francisco. Oh yeah. No, I would say his bill signing just like a few weeks ago. He went out. Oh to yeah. This, holy, that was that was something. Just go out to the, the smoky wilderness and signs like what a in his what? jacket and his boots. Like, oh, so, my God. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, across the state, people know Gavin, you know, back when he was the mayor in SF, and people know him now. And, like, I people say, okay, everyone dislikes, like, Gavin. It's like, oh, is that always the case with the governor? Aren't people always going to dislike him and powerful? And I, I think Gavin is unusual for the amount of fluff and, you know, PR gloss he puts on, you know, a pretty rotten core. And I, it's, yeah. it's hard to push back against that. I don't know. 
Yeah. I mean, I had my, I had my personally, not speaking on behalf of Tennis Together, but I will say, like, I personally had my issues with the man, but I kind of miss Jerry Brown now, like, in comparison. Like, I, I, I mean, <laughs> Jerry, not, he's not perfect, but Jerry Brown, I, you, you, you know, he took some actual bold stances. He actually did some things right, you know, and he, he was, he was not a stuffed suit in the way that, that Gavin is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, someone, someone had just put out some clip of him like shouting in the chamber, like I'm like about climate change. Like he's like, I'm not. I was like, I'm not doing this for me. I'm gonna be dead. I'm doing this for you. <laughs> like, yeah, just... I saw it. That was that was that was great. Uh, I I was encouraged a bit to say like he Gavin maybe he he loses in the realm of of the public press and the media and the journos. And when AB38 dropped, I think he was expecting. I mean, this is me speculating. This is the uh, you know the eviction moratorium. People are gonna love it. Gavin saves the day, and a lot of the headlines were uh, Gavin drops AB thirty eighty eight, but uh, tenants people say didn't doesn't do enough. Which is, I was at least happy he got some bad headlines. I don't know if that's really gonna sway it, but it's. I do I do think that is the only thing that motivates his office to some degree. <laughs> um, Again, speaking on my behalf of myself, this is not an organizational position. But, you know, I mean, it's also, it doesn't make, like, he is the guy in charge. So, I mean, it doesn't make total sense to, like, bash him all the time. No, but he needs to be held accountable for his choices. And in this particular, like, and he does this in other realms that aren't housing related, for sure. But, yeah, I mean, I do think that he is very press conscious. And uh, I do, I, 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 too, was like, you know, I, I mean, I was heartened to see that reaction in the press because, I mean, I, I don't I don't know if he thought that he was going to ride off into the sunset. I think he did, but I also think like we still that, that that's not even like past tense. I'm rambling a little bit, but I mean, he's still going to respond to negative press and uh, and criticizing him for you know <laughs> the continuance of evictions and the existence of loopholes and demanding that he you know maybe. And demanding that he plug them up because he has the authority to do so it's like here here is your opportunity to be a hero gavin newsom like why don't you take it <laughs> yeah and i guess i guess the thing is maybe you say looking at the other press the globe street press of saying that oh landlords are very happy with this mm -hmm. i don't know investors are very happy with this maybe he maybe he knew what he was doing and thread the needle exactly right and it's just the fact that this is yeah. this is this is an audience that also means a lot to him for different reasons. But uh, as far as far as you know, the clock is ticking, like we we are we are standing here, we're getting up until February in, in a certain amount of time. Like, what what is what does the timeline look like? Is everyone just kind of you know figuring what to do on a daily basis and just see what happens as February approaches, or is there any kind of interesting uh, you know milestones on the way? I think where, I mean, um, there's going to be, I think January, I think is going to be a very weird month. Um, especially because at that point too, the CDC moratorium has expired. Um, and yeah, you're going to see, weird. yeah. And you're going to see the legislature back in session, uh, basically after, after new year's. And I mean, on the presidential level, I don't know what's going to happen. It's probably going to be weird there too. Um, but, uh, right now, I mean, in terms of what we're, and we're still continuing to basically say, Gavin Newsom, do your do your job, do what's in your power to do, plug up some of these eviction loopholes. You still can, uh, you know, AB third. There's plenty of eviction types that AB thirty eighty eight doesn't touch at all. It only talks about non payment. 
Um, so, you know, we're still pushing on the local level. Obviously, San Francisco just did something where we, uh, where, where the city is basically putting a stop on no faults, uh, unless like it's a health and safety issue or the tenant is threatening someone. Like, you know, with little exceptions like that, we've basically effectively banned no fault evictions and are trying to encourage other cities to do the same, to close these loopholes themselves because they're not hamstrung by 3088 in those for other types of evictions. Um, and then, yeah, in terms of what, like, what Sacramento is going to look like in January, like, in terms of the legislative planning, I mean, it's really, I think we are, we are, have, we're talking about it a lot, and we're dreading it a lot, but, I mean, in terms of what exactly, how exactly we're going to approach it, that's not something we've decided on as a movement, but we know that like we're thinking about this every day like we know we are going to have to take some sort of legislative action it might could look like an extension it, of 3088 it could look like asking for a special session although i think that's probably not going to happen yeah. um so i don't know how much time is now worth spending on it uh smarter people than i have tried <laughs> um, uh it, or or you know figuring out what our legislative options are um in light of the fact that it would take some kind of special, uh, not special session, but like special workaround uh, to actually pass something before February 1st. So, I mean, I guess it's a long-winded way of saying we're still continuing to explore every option until they run out, you know? Um, yeah. It's... <laughs> but I think putting the pressure on Newsom is still important. I think that's paramount because, I mean, essentially it is going to, and anything that happens in the legislature on this issue is presumably at this point going to go through him. He showed his hand, you know, yeah. um, uh, and he's really the only guy who can do something before February 1st. Yeah, so. I guess I, I, I'm, I'm personally hoping we don't have a contested federal presidential election and a civil war because I think mm -hmm. that, would, that would probably make Gavin Newsom look good or something if he's like <laughs> fighting against, you know, the contested uh, presidency. So his uh, next photo op is going to be like on a, in a tank or something. Yeah, that, 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 that's exactly this kind of PR I hope he doesn't get. Blunderbuss. Uh, so, yeah, so I don't, it's, it's. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a it's a weird sort of momentum, but uh, thanks thanks for the rundown on everything there, and uh, yeah, yeah, I, I I swear one of these times we'll actually get the knives out and and have a real uh, a real fight over land use. Uh, everyone everyone wants that, but it'll one of these days. Yeah, maybe maybe when everything is less sad. Yeah, I mean it's never going to be good, but you know I I think at least it's will stabilize when this pandemic just doesn't make it wor like worse and worse for the people who can least afford it, which is it's, 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 it's bad and getting worse. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. We can find about, we can find about land use when the market recovers. <laughs> yeah. I mean the land use, I mean land use that's on the order of decades, you know, the misery here is on the order of, of, you know, weeks and days. It's, it's, it's bad stuff. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Until then, until then. Uh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much for making the time for the, for this update. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So we've been talking to Shanti Singh from Tens Together for the last hour. You can find this episode and all previous episodes of the show at the website seethecat.org. This is a presentation of Tuesday's show, Stanford.